Good to have you this morning. Welcome this morning to uh, the to the Rock Church's uh, live uh, stream service this morning. If you're new this morning and you've just tuned in for the first time, we want to say welcome. We're so grateful that you uh, chose to come and to tune in with us this morning. We hope that when we are able to meet face-to-face again, if you're from Sheridan, we sure hope that you'll uh, come and fellowship with us uh, at that time. My name is uh, Try. I'm one of the pastors here at the Rock Church, and uh, it's Good to be with you in worship here this morning. The, the, the title of this morning's sermon is, is the idea of uncertainty in the journey. And um, certainly for the disciples, Jesus' uh, resurrection didn't really bring as many answers as we would think. It actually brought a, a time of, of reflection, a time of maybe even some confusion and some struggle trying to wrap their heads around what exactly had happened and what the implications were for them. And so we're going to join in on, on a journey, and the reality of us is that we're all on a journey. Each one of us is, is, is at a certain place uh, in life at this point in time. And we're going to meet with these two guys uh, that are on a road uh, back to a place called Emmaus. And these guys are, are, are kind of a couple of guys, if you've ever went to a sporting event and, and it looked like the, the, your team was, was, was going to lose the game, and you see people start to file out of the stadium or whatever, and they're the people generally who, uh, who don't want to have to fight the traffic and the parking and all that kind of stuff. And so, so they leave really kind of before things are over, and that's where we're going to kind of intersect these guys, and not just us, but Jesus is going to come into uh, these guys' journey as well right here. So so let's look into this a little bit. It starts in in Luke chapter 24, uh, verses 13 through 53, and it says this. It says, And behold, two of them were going that very day to a village named Emmaus, which was about seven miles from Jerusalem. And they were talking with each other about these things which had taken place. While they were talking and discussing, Jesus himself approached and began traveling with them, but their eyes were prevented from recognizing him. And so, you know, you got to wonder, what, what, what kind of conversation are these guys having on the way? It says that, that they've left. It's, it's the very morning of the resurrection um, that they've probably left uh, sometime, I don't know, mid-morning, early afternoon, um, and they've headed back. They're headed actually away from where all of this has happened. They've, they've headed away from the place where the miracle has happened. And I think that there's some real lessons for us in that, the, the idea of, of us just staying don't leave this just right before the miracle happens. So many times in our lives, we get, we get lost. We get wondering what's going to happen. And because things aren't happening in the way that we've thought that they would happen, that life isn't transpiring like we thought it was, uh, we, we didn't think or we didn't see this coming into our lives. And so many times, we'll begin to head on a journey away from God, um, away from the hope, away from the miracle and so we find these guys, they're doing that. And probably the, the, the course of their conversation is probably, you know, looking of, like one of despair, one where they just feel defeated, where everything that they thought and how they thought it was going to go um, has basically unfolded in a way that didn't bring uh, them to a good spot. It, it left them uh, concerned. It's left them uncertain. It's left them even grieving in this time. And they're walking along this road, headed back probably to their home, and they're having some conversation. And um, they, they were talking to each other about just the things that have went on. And, you know, there's a great possibility that they were there during the triumphal entry. And, and they were all just jazzed up and charged up at what was going on. And, and seeing Jesus being lifted up as, and hailed as, as Savior and, and as the coming King. And then they've seen him crucified. They've seen him convicted and hung on a criminal's cross. 
I wonder what kind of conversation is going on, you know, like, man, we, we just didn't see that coming, and we really thought that this was going to go different, and, and, and all of their hopes and all of their future, uh, what they thought their future was going to be has been dashed by the events that have happened around them. So they're talking, and, and they're discussing these things, and it says that Jesus approached, and he began to travel with them. What a picture. You know, this is just the habit of God. This is the habit of Jesus to, to pursue us. If we, if we looked all the way back into Genesis in chapter 3, when, when, when Adam and Eve fall, the, the next thing really that happens is, is, is that they, they move away from God. Their, their shame and their nakedness have, have been exposed before one another and before God, and they basically run away, and they go and hide. But what does God do? He's faithful, and he comes in pursuit of them. We see Jesus here with these guys that are heading away from him, away from Jerusalem, away from the place where the promise really is, and we find him meeting them on this road. What, what a picture, and what a difference uh, compared to how the people of the day saw the gods of their world. You see, gods didn't pursue people. People weren't worthy of the pursuit of the gods. Gods were only to be appeased. They were only uh, to be um, elevated, they, they really, their relationships with human beings was only to manipulate them to the gods' end. But here we see a drastically different picture. We see Jesus coming in pursuit of them. And it says that he began to travel with them. And so, so many times we, we just feel like maybe we're alone on the journey. But I want to encourage you this morning that we never are, that Jesus joins us and he's, he's ready. And so for whatever reason, if it's a supernatural thing or whatever, they don't recognize him. They don't, they don't understand right now who is traveling with them. And so many times that's the case in our own lives. We, we don't really get it. We don't see. We don't recognize this. Jesus is with us in the midst of this. Verse 17, it goes on to say, and he said to them, what are these words that you are exchanging with one another as you are walking? And they stood still looking sad. One of them, named Cleopas, answered and said to him, you, are you the only one visiting Jerusalem and unaware of the things which have happened here in these days? And he said to them, what things? What an interesting uh, interaction here we see. And so, so, so Jesus just comes and he, he begins by asking a question. You know, when Adam and Eve fell, it was the first question that God ever asked in, in, in his word. And his, his question was, where are you? Where are you? Even their, their, their shame had, had brought them to a place where they were hiding, they were away from God. And God comes in pursuit of them, and he asks them a question. He says, where are you at? Uh, here, Jesus is saying, what, what's, the, what's your conversation about? What, what, what's coming out? You know, Jesus taught a, a spiritual principle that said, out of the mouth proceeds that which fills the heart. And my guess is that in their heart, they felt completely defeated, utterly just despairing and even grieving again, right? And Jesus just comes and says, what's, what, what's, your, what's, your, what's your conversation? What's going on here in your heart? What's going on? What's, what's going on here in your heart and in your mind? And a funny thing is that, is that uh, this guy Cleopas says to Jesus, he says, man, are you the only one? Are you the only one who doesn't get it? Are you the only one who has been around Jerusalem and yet unaware of what has gone on? Isn't that sometimes just how we feel about God in the midst of the struggle, in the midst of, of our misunderstanding? And when we're faced with things that we didn't ask for and that we don't understand, so many times we just kind of accuse God of saying, you just don't get it, do you? You don't understand where I'm at. You don't understand the circumstances that I'm dealing with. Are you really the only one that's unaware, God? It seems like everybody else has some understanding of what's going on here and around us and stuff, but God, you just seems like you're far away, that you're distant. 
and that you just don't get it. What an irony that the only one who really gets it is asked by Cleopas, are you the only one who doesn't get it? And Jesus' response is kind of another interesting one. He says, well, what things? What things? What, what, what was it? I, I think what an interesting picture of, of just how he views what has just happened to him. You know, he, he's went through the suffering. He's entered into our suffering. He's experienced it on a level that we never have, injustice and suffering and separation from the Father. And yet at this point, as he has really manifested the resurrected Christ, the glorified Christ, his perspective is, what things? What things? The other thing that Jesus doesn't do, if this was me, I probably would have told him, do you know what I've been through for you, right? Do you know what has just happened to me? Of course, let me tell you what's happened. But he doesn't approach us like that. He's a respecter of our persons, and, and he treats us much like a lot of times we would treat a two-year-old who has questions, um, just saying, hey, why don't you tell me how you see this? Why don't you explain to me what's going on in your head? And let me help you from there. And they said to him, the things about Jesus, the Nazarene, who was a prophet, mighty in deed and word in the sight of God and all the people, and how the chief priests and our rulers delivered him to the sentence of death and crucified him. But we were hoping that it was he who was going to redeem Israel indeed. Besides all this, it is the third day since these things have happened. And, and, and again, the irony of that these guys are going to begin to tell Jesus about Jesus. You know, I tried for a long time in my life to define God uh, within, my own, uh, within my own mind of, of how I saw him. This is how I think this should go. And this is the way that I think that you should operate and how you should um, be. And, and that never worked. It never brought anything that would change me. And, and so these guys have an, a, an interesting understanding of him and a very limited one, as a matter of fact. As a matter of fact, they're looking at him as a Nazarene, as a prophet. They understand and get that he was mighty indeed, right? And, and, and that his word, and, and in the sight of all of the people, he brought awe and respect and all of these kinds of things. But guess what? Their other view of him is that, you know what, though? All of those things don't really matter because he's dead, because he was crucified, because the rulers delivered him to the sentence of death, and they crucified him. You see, these guys left right before the miracle really happened. But that's the amazing thing is that even though they left before the miracle happened, we see Jesus pursue them on this road, join them on their journey, and he's going to begin to explain who he is, and he's begin to teach them what he's about Finally, they said, um, they, 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 so here they are, they're the, they need hope, they need peace, and they're standing in the very presence of hope and peace, and they don't recognize it. They don't understand that he's just right here, and so many times in our own lives in the midst of it, we, we, we need hope, we need peace, we need a redeemer, and we don't understand, or we just don't see that we're in the very presence of that one. So they said, man, we, were, we really had hoped. We hoped that he was going to redeem Israel. We hoped that he was going to operate in a different way. We thought that he was going to do it this way. We thought maybe that he was going to evict the, the Romans and, and, and overturn their rule and, and restore uh, Jerusalem back to the Jewish people, but, but he didn't. And then they say, besides this, it's the third day. And whether they mean by that that it's the third day and he said he was going to rise again and we didn't see it, or if they're meaning that uh, the kind of talking about a, a Jewish belief that the soul departed, it stood in proximity of the body for three days and then departed, I'm not sure. But, but anyway, it, it, they, they just have this message of hopelessness. They start to say, 
it's just kind of all over, so we're headed back. In verse 22, it says, but also some women among us, they amazed us when they were at the tomb early in the morning and did not find his body. They came saying that they had also seen a vision of angels who said that he was alive. Some of those who were with us went to the tomb and found it just exactly as the women also had said, but him they did not see. Interesting picture, it says that they were actually amazed by the report of the women. But the thing is, is that they wanted that confirmation by men, and it didn't happen. And they said, well, the guys went down there to check out what the lady said, and it wasn't there. They didn't see the Jesus, and so I guess it just doesn't have any validity. See, what, a, what an amazing picture that Jesus gives us when, when he allows the women to find him. What, what an upside-down thing. I think culturally we don't ever get a grasp of this. But Jesus gave dignity to women in a way, uh, and, and he, he honored them in ministry in ways that, that were radical, completely, totally radical in his day. As a matter of fact, if these guys weren't writing anything other than an eyewitness account, trust me, they wouldn't have put that women were the first ones to the tomb because women didn't have, uh, they, they weren't credible witnesses, and so these guys said, wow, we were amazed by what the women said. We were maybe hopeful, but, but the guys couldn't confirm it. So I guess we better, uh, we want to beat the rush, and we're going we're gonna to head back to Emmaus. And Jesus says to them, he says, O foolish men, and slow of heart to believe in all that the prophets have spoken. Was it not necessary for the Christ to suffer these things and to enter into his glory? Then beginning with Moses and with all the prophets, he explained to them the things concerning himself in all the scripture. He calls them foolish because he's saying, you had access to this. You, you, you had the ability to understand and to look into and to know what the prophet said. And what he does then is he begins to unfold um, kind of a running commentary of the Old Testament to them. And man, wouldn't that have been something to sit in on, to actually have Jesus explain to you point by point through the Old Testament exactly how it pertained to him. See, God's word is the most profound uh, writing ever. It, th this book is alive, it's active. And, and the reality of it is, is that Jesus took them into the scriptures to make real who he was. And Jesus does that same thing to us today. You see, there's a real necessity for us as believers to be in God's word. And, and not just to be in God's word and then listening to what everybody else tells us it says, but truly to be open and receiving, to be spending time with God and allowing him to teach you about himself through this word. Now, I'm not saying it's, it's good to, to listen to other people, but I'm afraid a lot of times in, in, our, uh, in our Christian walk, our Christian culture, especially here in America, we spend more time listening to what everybody else tells us what scripture says than listening to what God tells us that it says. And God tells us that the spirit is available to us and that he's a teacher and that he wants to go through his word with you and with me. And he wants to grow us. He wants to change us. He wants to move us from a place of, of despair and hopelessness and unbelief into a place of belief and victory and hope and, and, and promise. But, you know, we've got to spend time there. We've got to, we've got to allow him to, to open his word to us and to make it real to us. So the encouragement in that is, is to be in your Bible, to take some of this time where, where again, a lot of the things are, are not options for us for a minute here, and, and to just be spending time in God's Word and going deeper with Him. What a commentary. You know, the whole Bible speaks of Jesus. He's there from Genesis through 
revelation. And I want to um, kind of just go through a few things here with you. It says these are, these are pro- prophecies of, of the coming Messiah. Messiah would be born of the seed of a woman, Genesis 3.15. Would be a descendant of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, Genesis 12.3, 17.9, 28.14. He would be of the tribe of Judah, Genesis 49, 10. He would be a prophet, Deuteronomy 18, 15 through 19. He would be worshiped by angels, Deuteronomy 32, 43. Would be a descendant of Boaz and Ruth, Ruth 4, 12 through 17. Messiah would be exalted by God with power, 1 Samuel 2, 10. A descendant of David, 2 Samuel 7, 12 through 16. He would be the rock, 2 Samuel 23, 2 through 3. Son of God, Psalm 2-7, resurrected, he would be resurrected, Psalm 16, 8 through 10. He would be despised and crucified, Psalm 22, 6 through 8. He would be hated without cause, Psalm 69, 4. Seated at the right hand of God, Psalm 110, 1. He would be in the line of Melchizedek, Psalm 110, 4. The stone rejected by the Jews, Psalm 8, 118, 22. He would be from everlasting, Proverbs 8, 22 to 23. He would be the son of God, Proverbs 30, verse 4. He would be born of a virgin, Isaiah 7, 14. He would be Emmanuel, God with us, Isaiah 7, 14. He would be God and man, Isaiah 9, 6. He would have the sevenfold spirit of God upon him, Isaiah 11, 1, 2. He would heal the blind, lame, and deaf, Isaiah 35, 5, and 6. Would be preceded by a forerunner, Isaiah 40, verse 3 would be a light to the Gentiles, Isaiah 42.6, despised by the Jewish nation, Isaiah 49.7, would be whipped and beaten, Isaiah 50, verse 6, would be a guilt offering for sin, Isaiah 53.10, would be resurrected and live forever, Isaiah 53.10. He would be God in our righteousness, Jeremiah 23.6, would be the son of man and given an everlasting kingdom, Daniel 7.13.14. He would come 483 years after the decree to rebuild Jerusalem, Daniel 9.25. He would be killed, Daniel 9.26. He would offer salvation to all mankind, Joel 2.32. He would baptize people with the Holy Spirit, Joel 2.28-32. During his death, the day would be darkened, Amos 8.9. He would be born in Bethlehem and would be from everlasting, Micah 5.2. He would visit the second temple, Haggai 2.6-9. He would be a priest and a king, Zechariah 6.12-13. He would ride into Jerusalem on a donkey, Zechariah 9.9. He would be God, Zechariah 11, 12, and 13. He would be pierced, Zechariah 12, 10. He would appear at the temple, Malachi 3, 1. In Genesis, he's the creator. He's the covering for Adam and Eve. He is the seed of the woman. He's the ark. He is typified in the ram sacrificed in place of Isaac. He is typified in the persons of Melchizedek, Isaac, and Joseph. In Exodus, he is typified in the life of Moses, the deliverer, the Passover lamb, the manna from heaven, the rock struck at Horeb, and the tabernacle. In Leviticus, he is typified as the high priest, the sacrifice of the offerings, and the scapegoat. In Numbers, he is typified as the bronze serpent on the pole, the water from the rock. In Deuteronomy, he's typified by the prophet Moses and the cities of refuge. In Joshua, he's the captain of our salvation, commander of the Lord's army and guide to the promised land. In Judges, he's the judge and the lawgiver, the true judge of the living and the dead. In Ruth, he is typified in Boaz, the kinsman redeemer. First and second Samuel, typified in the lives of David and Jonathan. First and second Kings, he is the reigning king. He's typified by Elisha and his miracles. First and second Chronicles, he's the glorious temple. In Ezra, he's the rebuilder of the temple. In Nehemiah, he's the rebuilder of the wall. In Esther, he is 
typified as Mordecai and turns death around on Satan just as Haman hung from his own gallows. In Job, he is the redeemer that would stand upon the earth. In Psalms, he is the Lord our shepherd. In Proverbs and Ecclesiastes, he is the wisdom personified. In the Song of Solomon, he is the lover and the bridegroom. In Isaiah, he is the suffering servant. In Jeremiah and Lamentations, he is our righteousness. In Ezekiel, he is the son of man. In Daniel, he is the fourth in the furnace and the closer of the mouths of lions. In Hosea, he's the faithful bridegroom. In Joel, he is the baptizer in the spirit. In Amos, he is the burden bearer. In Obadiah, he is the mighty savior. In Jonah, he is the merciful God. In Micah, he's the messenger with beautiful feet. In Nahum, he is the avenger of God's elect. In Habakkuk, he is the great evangelist crying for revival. In Zephaniah, he's the restorer of the remnant. In Haggai, he is the cleansing fountain. And in Malachi, he is the son of righteousness. The whole Bible speaks of Jesus. It, it tells of his coming. It's all about him. It's all about God and what he would do. It's all written in his word, and it's all available to each one of us. It says that they approached the, bil- the village where, where they were going, and, they, and he acted as though he were going farther. But they urged him, saying, stay with us, for it is getting toward evening, and the day is now nearly over. So he went in to stay with them. When he had reclined at the table with them, he took the bread and blessed it, and breaking it, he began giving it to them. Then their eyes were opened, and they recognized him, and he vanished from their sight. It's an interesting thing. Again, Jesus is a respecter of our person, and, and, and he responds always to that invitation, and, and how God's election and how man's responsibility uh, work together, I can't exactly tell you, but... Right here, it says that he acted like he was going to go further, but he responded to their invitation. He responded to their hospitality when they said, come on, stay with us. It's, it's getting towards evening. Come and, come and eat with us. And it says that they reclined at the table, and when they had reclined, he broke bread. And when he broke bread, it revealed to them the reality of who he was. They recognized him, and he, immediately he vanished from their sight. Hospitality is always a, a theme in the Bible, and we, we talked about that as we, as we went through our, our, our sermon series um, and the breaking of bread. How many times does the ministry of Jesus take place around a table? One of the things that I hope that this all does for us in, in this event and uh, the interruption in our lives that we've had right now is that it brings us back to the importance of hospitality and that we'll be quick to break bread together and we'll be quick to, to understand the power of the ministry of an invitation into our homes and, and feeding people and, and sharing in that time with them how powerfully God has used that throughout the whole Bible. Then they said to one another, were not our hearts burning within us while he was speaking to us on the road? While he was explaining the scriptures to us, and they got up that very hour and returned to Jerusalem and found gathered together the eleven and those who were with them saying, the Lord has really risen and has appeared to Simon. They began to relate their experiences on the road and how he was recognized by them in the breaking of the bread. Interesting thing, they didn't say, man, on my head, that was information overload. What they said was that spoke to our hearts. Could you feel it in your heart when, when God's word was, was just being spoken over us, when he was speaking to us, when he was telling us the reality of who he was from his word? Wasn't your heart just 
burning? Wasn't it going into a deeper place? You see, they needed much more than just an intellectual understanding of who he was as Nazarene and, and prophet and mighty in deed and word. They, they needed this to soak into their heart. They needed to understand that there was hope in him, that, that where they were hopeless, he had brought hope. Where they were without peace, he was the prince of peace. Where they needed redeemed, he was the redeemer. And, and it says that they were so inspired that they got up at that point, and, and even though there was probably a danger of traveling in the evening or, or at night even, they headed back so that they could go back to Jerusalem and tell the other disciples what they had experienced and what had happened. And, and this is always, too, something that's uh, just often seen when, when, when there's a reality of the understanding of who God is, when it, when it starts to soak into our hearts the next thing that happens is that we want to we go make a report of that. We want to go tell others about it. Uh, we, see that, uh, we see that in the, the woman at the well, that she went back probably from the very, to the very people that she had been hiding from. She went into the village to tell them. Uh, the, the, the demoniac, it, it says that Jesus set him free, and after he did, he sent him up into the Decapolis or the ten cities to, to, to bear witness of what had happened to him. The reality of believers in our lives today is that we have been called, we've been called to go to all the nations, uh, to make disciples, to baptize them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Spirit. And so when we have a right understanding, when that has soaked into our hearts the reality of who this Jesus is, that he's not a dead Jesus, that he's not gone, that he's not separate or away from us, but that he has drawn near on the journey with us, that he is on the road of life with us, and, and that he stands ready to teach us and to help us and to, to guide us into things that maybe we're not understanding even right now. But mainly, he wants to use us. He wants to send us back into people around us. He wants us to be witnesses to the reality of who he is, to his goodness. One thing I hope in the all of the goings on, the interruption that we've experienced. I think that God is doing a powerful thing. I think he's doing a, a really mighty thing. And I know we all went out of the frying pan, but I only hope we get out of the frying pan if we begin to really value what's important. If we really learn from this what I know God has that he wants to teach each and every one of us, that we would value and prioritize things like worship, and the assembly together of the saints to, 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 to recognize how important it is and that things that we would um, really be about would look like some hospitality and breaking bread with others, knowing that we have what we have, the information that we have, the, the life that we've been given, that we might spend it on others. You know, I think that we're, we have a really unique opportunity in this, and I think that God has hit a reset button in all of our lives. And, and a lot of the options and a lot of the distractions and, and a lot of the, the, the just the, the things that are meant to be out here aren't available to us right now. They're all gone. And we have the opportunity as life is about to return to some semblance of normal. I, I believe that that's just about to happen. We have the opportunity to define what we're going to let back into our lives. What, what things we're going to prioritize and what, what we're not. What kind of things we're going to say, you know what, whew, I didn't see it at the time. I didn't recognize it at the time, but that was eating up way too much time. I hope that we don't go back to just a frenzied pace once this is all over. I hope that we recognize the importance 
of what God has called us to do, the high calling, the mission that's before us. Um, so let's pray. And then Pastor Mike is going to come up, and we are going to do communion together. So, Father, we thank you that you are always with us, that you're ready to equip us, to teach us, to grow us, that you want to help us through your word. You want us to help us to, to navigate it, to understand it, to apply it. And, Lord, we thank you that you are the risen Christ, that you, uh, you aren't in the grave, that you, uh, that you have risen and that you've risen in glory, and that you're patient with us even now. So, Lord, I just pray for each one of us that we would seek your face maybe like never before, that we would ask you to, to enter in, to, to come into our conversation, to come into our hearts and our minds, to, to teach us, to grow us. Teach us how to live, Lord. Teach us how to, how to really truly be human. Teach us, Lord, all that you would have us to do and be that we might be your hands and feet as we walk on this earth. We give you all the glory and all the praise this day. Lord, and we pray, may your perfect will be done in Jesus' name.